I've heard that the best amount to aim to grow by week after week is 4%. Period. 4% might not seem like a lot. But over really time, hit the jackpot by most of the world's standards, even though most of you think it's still not enough. What's going to make things magnificent on your terms, not somebody else's terms? But if you're on an awakening journey and you have recognized that those are there, you have taken the most crucial step to get out of that, which is to become aware that it's actually happening. This is your last chance. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And welcome to the Joygasmic Life Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. I'm so glad that you found your way here and you're in for a treat because here we are sharing the top tips, hacks, and tools that our community of conscious women mothers have found to really work to make a difference in how they parent and how they can keep their calm and cool even when their kids are driving them crazy. Each week I interview guests who are bulletproof moms, badass women running their own businesses on the leading edge of consciousness, who are here to support people in getting the skills, knowledge, and tools they need to put into practice what it is to walk their talk and be conscious spiritual women in the world. Our topics range from optimal nutrition to mindset hacks to tantra and everything in between. If there's a topic or an expert you'd like to see interviewed, drop me a line on my Facebook page and I'm happy to see if we can arrange that. Remember, if you love the podcast, there's so much more on our website, bulletproofmoms.com, and we would so appreciate that you subscribe, share our podcast with your friends, and give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you're viewing this as it helps us reach more people. Remember, if we talk too slow, you can always speed us up. I know I love to do that. And without further ado, here is our next guest. Welcome to the Joygasmic Life podcast. Today's guest is Holly Booker. Holly is a retired paramedic and now a registered holistic health and nutrition counselor. We met on Facebook somewhere along the way and there, she was just so sparkly. I was like, I need to know more about this lady. Like that is a corner of the world that more people need to understand. So I'm super excited to have her uh, here today for an interview. She specializes in helping people shed excess weight through creative, sustainable lifestyle changes, such as eating more plant-based foods, reducing stress, and improving sleep, which we know is super important. Um, She helps them to feel confident and good in their skin and learn how to develop long-term habits that support both their health and well-being. Holly is also the mom to a spirited four-year-old and works extensively with families to help overcome common mealtime and food struggles so that parents can be confident that their children are getting the nutrition that they need to thrive. Uh, That sounds amazing. I'm super excited to get into all of this. I know my son has been a wildly picky eater. I was a wildly picky eater, um, and we've done some things to to help with that, but I'm, I'm personally excited. I'm like, what does she have to share? How can we learn about this today? So welcome, Holly. Super excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. 
Awesome. So let's, let's, you know, before, before we really get started, we've heard your bio, but like, how did you get into doing all of this? You know, you started as a paramedic and then did something happen in your life or what caused that change that now you're doing this kind of work? Yes, um, absolutely. So my career as a paramedic ended from a shoulder injury, actually. I could no longer lift patients. And um, at the time, I decided to go back and do my undergraduate degree and my master's degree. And while I was doing my master's, I had my, my daughter. Um, and after I had her, I actually developed postpartum depression and, um, and numerous other health struggles that I've been dealing with for years. I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome plus the postpartum depression, and just reached a point where I knew something had to change. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I began to research a lot about um, how I could manage this myself, what avenues I could look at in terms of improving my health and my well-being. And um, I actually did yoga teacher training initially and then decided to pursue registration as a holistic nutrition counselor. Uh, for myself and then as a career path uh, to help other women who had gone through some of the struggles that I had as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally understand that postpartum depression and um, all of those sort of bowel things and, and changes in hormones and body and microbiome that come along with that. It's, uh, it sounds like you know, incredibly similar in some ways, but I'm sure different than my experiences and is all too common among women these days to, you know, have our children, whether it's our first or second, third, whatever, and really be in a place of like struggle afterwards. Um, so, you know, one of the, Yes. One of the things that you share about is uh, struggling with losing weight and keeping it off. Um, is that something that you personally went through after, after babies? Yes. Um, so I've kind of struggled with um, midsection body weight specifically. So around the abdomen. And now I know that's mostly due to stress. <laughs> and oh. um, whereas I didn't know that before. Um, so it's a lot connected to stress and also insulin resistance and hormone imbalances. Um, so it's something that I struggled with for a long time after I had my daughter, um, I breastfed her for almost three years and I actually dropped a lot of weight initially. And, and then as I was nursing her less, I started to gain it back. Um, mm. and as I became more stressed, then I gained more weight and my health continued to spiral down. Um, but by creating, um, by implementing like these changes in my life, such as like lowering my stress and sleeping better. And then um, I'm actually hundred percent plant-based by creating those changes. I was able to lose some of that uh, belly weight, that excess weight and regulate my hormones as well. Yeah. So you talked about like hormone regulation in terms of belly fat. Can you, can, do you understand the science around how all of that works? It's like a fascinating corner for me. I, I don't actually know a lot about it. Yeah. Yeah, there's so there's so many different variables that go into your belly fat specifically. Um, but we know the belly fat is associated with higher risk of serious illnesses, serious diseases too, such as cancer and diabetes and heart disease. So that is kind of the, the best indicator of our health is actually the size of our waist. Um, uh -huh. So belly fat can, can come from a variety of different reasons, um, which of course is the foods that you eat. And diets that are higher in saturated fat, so 
a lot um, of the oils, um, processed foods, meats and dairy and egg, they're, they're higher in saturated fat, so they can contribute more to that, that belly weight, that, um, or what's known as visceral fat, which is the fat around our organs, um, which is the most concerning types of fat. But also we have a lot of hormonal control of um, belly fat, specifically um, our stress hormones like cortisol, um, which is just, um, one of our primary stress hormones. And it's connected also to insulin, which um, regulates our blood sugar. When we're stressed, we have higher cortisol levels. We um, have more inflammation around our, our belly area, around our organ. So we can tend to gain um, fat in those areas. Also the insulin is associated, higher insulin levels is associated with higher belly fat as well. So if we're not regulating sugars properly, we have high cortisol, high insulin, we're going to gain more weight around the midsection and around those organs as well. And then that makes our organs have to work harder and have more inflammation, which exacerbates the problem, <clears throat> excuse me, and makes it all, all worse, actually, in kind of a vicious cycle. Um, yeah, and then we're and then stressed the other about that, our body. Um, and our... That happened with stress. Oh, go ahead. Exactly. And then um, with stress as well, we have um, stress impacts our digestion itself. It impacts how well we absorb nutrients. It impacts our gut microbiome, which is important for health, of course. Um, and then it, it impacts our metabolism as well. So how much fat or how many calories we burn just by, by doing nothing um, is influenced by stress or by insulin, by cortisol. They're all connected in this like um, mesh work or weave, they weave together and create all this uh, different influence on where we hold on to fat specifically um, and how easily we lose it as well. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had no idea. Like the like, I, I knew a little bit about cortisol because there's like rest and digest, and then like fight or flight, right? So obviously, if you're in fight or flight, if you're freaking out about something, it doesn't your your body's not in digest, um, not not able to digest because it's yeah. literally pumping a whole different set of of hormones. Um, can you you know? I know that meal time with kids can be super stressful, getting everybody to sit at the table or feeling guilty about people not sitting at the table or eating in front of TVs that have got crazy scary news on, whether it's like now in March 2020 or whether it's like mm -hmm. anytime the news is, can be a sort of a scary place. What are some of your your tips for creating more peaceful meal times with with kids or just for yourself, you know, like calming the body so that we're in that rest or digest space? Yes, that's such a great point. Um, what, like you mentioned, when we're in fight or flight, our bodies cannot function as they're supposed to. Um, if you think about like to our ancient ancestors, we needed to be prepared to run away from a threat. But now we have so much stress that we're constantly in that state of being ready to jump and run away at any second. Um, so in that state, we're not repairing, we're not digesting, we're not using those nutrients that we're eating properly. Um, so the best tip I have is actually to reduce pressure around, around meals in general by making mm. them a family affair. Mm. Um, what we want to, what's especially important is that we are modeling the behavior that we want to see in our children. So if we are eating and stressed and watching TV, and not chewing our foods, then they're watching that and they're thinking that this is the normal way to eat meals. Um, versus if we can actually make these an important time 
uh, to reconnect with each other, to uh, focus in on being present in a state, especially right now where there's so much uncertainty. But if we can take those meal times to create a sense of ease, a sense of presence, um, and just being mindful about what we're eating, what we're saying, what we're doing, even if it's only that short little time in the day where we can connect to each other, it's so important. Um, even when we're not in this state that we're in now, March 2020, but and just in general, um, our lives are so busy and that meal time can be so important to reconnect as a family, just to sit down, uh, talk about the day, have conversations. And this is especially important for little ones. Um, like babies and toddlers, because they they learn from us. And mm. if you're not showing them how to properly sit and eat and enjoy and con converse and be polite, like they're not learning that from anywhere else. Um, so it's such an important time to create that connection with your family. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, have you worked with families where like the kids just don't want to sit down like you know they're, they're either on devices or they're they don't want to like how do you start if you don't already have that yeah. kind of culture you know I was I was raised where like we had all of our meals together with our family so I have that as like a blueprint and it makes sense to me but I get stressed when we don't do that because it's so, it seems mm. normal to me to eat like that so if if but I have a friend for example who's like mm. getting her kids to sit down at the table and eat was like seemed impossible definitely it seemed impossible to her and for me it was like wow it's going to be a big hurdle to like make that happen to like actually get them to come and sit stay enjoy like what are your tips around actually having that happen i uh, i grew up in a home where we didn't sit as a family and eat so um when i had my daughter i made sure that was something i really wanted to try to do um, but what i recommend to people is um to set clear boundaries so it's not in like a mean way or anything but it's just that this is our meal time we want to enjoy it together and if you get down from the table then that shows me that you're done not in like a, a mean way especially to little children but it's just setting those clear boundaries and expectations that um what we expect at meal time and if you don't want to be a part of that then you're welcome to leave but you're you're done then um mm -hmm. and that may take a few times to to really um, get children used to that, but we have to also treat them as as the human they are and explain what's going on and why we're doing these changes. Maybe it's going to be a little bit difficult at first, and explain why it's so important. Especially, yeah. it could be um, you could be saying it's important for mommy right now or daddy that we have this time together and it's fun and and I love spending this time with you. Um, another way is to get kids involved in the process. So mm -hmm. whether that's um, from simply growing like a little herb garden or meal planning or grocery shopping, not currently. Um, yeah. Or like with my daughter, we have um, little nylon knives, which are safe for children. So that she can cut up her veg vegetables and she can cut up her fruit and participate in the preparing of meals. Because when kids especially get involved in the process, they feel a lot of pride and they are more inclined to eat foods that they don't usually eat and just to to really be proud of what they've done awesome awesome yeah totally i i've seen my son he's now nine uh learn how to make like bean and cheese quesadillas and he's so proud of it like yesterday i made my dinner which is a little had more stuff nice. in it and he made the simple version and i was just like wow like he made exactly as much as he thought he was gonna eat and he did the whole mm -hmm. thing from start to finish and it was just like oh this is this is working you know <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. so what, what are 
you know, there's this whole idea of like mealtime seeming like a nightmare. What are some of the things that you see people struggle with the most? Mm-hmm. I think the thing, the biggest thing that I see people struggle with, um, especially my clients, is that they feel like their kids are picky. And that's just, just this huge like battle around mealtimes and like pressure to prepare foods that the kids like. Um, and what I say to parents is to completely take the pressure off. It's our job as parents to provide healthy foods, but it's the child's job to decide how much they eat and what they eat. Um, and recognize this, the sooner, like it just takes all that pressure off. Mm. And if you think about it this way, like if your child perceives or sees you trying to convince them to eat something and bribing or coercing them they're thinking this must be really bad if they're trying so hard to get me to do this so they're mm. going to resist it mm. whereas if it's not a big deal they're much more likely to experiment try things and not feel that pressure um, some ways to reduce this pressure are to um, whenever you have something new for a child like you're trying a new recipe is to make one or two side dishes that you know they will like and they will enjoy um, mm. in, in my family and in the families I work with, I suggest that they have a try it rule where we always try a food, but if we don't like it, we don't have to eat it. So this mm -hmm. way, um, there's no pressure around it. You know, your child's going to eat, they're going to have something nutritious. Um, but if they don't eat that new food, then there's no pressure around it. Mm -hmm. And it can take up to 20 exposures to a food before a child will like it. So okay. that's completely normal. 20 and, I had heard seven um, yeah oh so just keep trying yeah. no it's up to 20 um so I don't, I don't know why yeah there's so many different um, variants around that but yeah it is so if we just keep providing it in in a situation where it's not stressful like this is what we're eating um try this and you might love it you might not and that's okay then they're going to keep trying it but if there's all this pressure and anxiety around it then they're going to resist it it's just natural for kids to resist too. Yeah. Um, I think I just want to touch in, uh, you know, this whole, like we're in March, 2020 COVID is like just starting to sort of reach the, the world stage. And in some ways it's like an opportunity around mm -hmm. food because you can literally say, if we don't have those things that you normally want because they're not available and the kids aren't coming to the store with you to see whether they're available or not, like it's a, it's a in some ways a good opportunity to stop buying some of those yeah. foods that you feel guilty about buying for them. You can just go like, you know what, I'm just not gonna buy them because, because sugar, you know, sugar's super detrimental to the immune system. We all want really healthy immune systems in general, but like especially right now. Uh, and so it's a, it's a good mm -hmm. time to do that. Uh, a couple months ago, we stayed at a world schooling family place where the food was included, but the food was not what my son enjoyed eating on a regular basis, not what we had mm -hmm. been supplying for him. And we stayed there for two months and it was a readjustment period for him, me, the people who worked there, the staff, how do we handle this is disgusting. You know, I'd love some tips around that one. We seem to handle it pretty well. Um, but it's like, having sort of that like external force of this is not available, you know, like we can't just go, we were in a really tiny town. So there was no grocery store where we could go. Um, so it was like once a week. And if we didn't get enough apples, then we didn't have enough apples. And, mm. um, and so I had to practice that conversation with him of like, we literally don't have the things to make what you want. And we don't have a kitchen right now. Cause it's a, like a, 
a hospitality run kitchen. It wasn't, I didn't have a kitchen. I had, you know, apples and bananas sitting on a counter and that was what was going to work for him if he needed a snack. And we made a ton of progress around his picky eating during that time. Uh, beforehand, he wouldn't, uh, you know, if, there, if we had rice and we, we ordered it in a restaurant or something and, it, and they put a garnish on it, like he would refuse the whole plate of rice because it had, you know, parsley on top. Um, whereas now he'll like pick mm -hmm. the green things out, or if it has vegetables yeah. in it, he'll like pick the vegetables he doesn't like out. And you know, that ne doesn't necessarily sound like a really big victory, but it, it is really a big victory for us to, to be like, wow, like he'll now pick the things he likes out mm -hmm. of the food and, you know, not to create food scarcity in your kids around this time and not that food needs to get that scarce because it seems like everything's functioning right now, but to to know that within those situations, if there is, uh, you know, some sort of scarcity, like maybe you're out of favorite cereal, but there's six other boxes of different kinds of cereal in the house or whatever that might be. It's like, well, this is what we have and you're going to need to try it or choose not to eat right now. Um, and, and that that's okay. It's okay to do that. You know, for me, I had to deal with a lot of shame and guilt being like, oh, I'm not providing food for my kid. And then realize that actually, unless I made him eat, he would run around 15 hours a day and not eat. And based around what I know about intermittent fasting, it's like, oh, his body like can continue to function for many, many hours at a time without food. In fact, maybe it's healthy, healthier for him in some ways. So um, all of that gave me a lot more peace of peace of mind around mm -hmm. uh, that experience and then our current experience as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Absolutely. maybe that's such a great point that. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, that's just such a great point too about um, around the food scarcity and that this is an opportunity to change because um, we get stuck into kind of pilot where we're living our lives. Um, and not really paying attention to kind of what, what we're doing because it's normal. And now we have this opportunity maybe in time for some people to start implementing changes right now, whether that's simple changes like swapping from a white bread to a whole wheat bread or it's from a, a white pasta to a whole grain pasta or little swaps like that or else even like making quite larger changes like cutting out sugar. Um, but it is a good opportunity because if we can set up these changes now, we'll be able to carry them through when things do return to our new normal um, after the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to ask you about like overwhelm and like that feeling like that, like I just mentioned, like I sort of came to peace with knowing that if he didn't eat three meals a day, plus two snacks, plus whatever, like he would still continue to function and grow. Um, can you talk a little bit about par for parents who are feeling overwhelmed about not knowing if their kids are getting the nutrition that they need and like what they can, either some foods that they can add in or mm -hmm. just some mindset things around that? What, what would be your wisdom there? Absolutely. Um, one tip I have is to actually look at their food and their nutrition through a weekly um, lens versus every day, because some days we have bad days and that's okay. But if you can look mm -hmm. at it through as the whole week, kind of in general, what wins this week, what have they tried, maybe what did they eat? Um, and, and that's a really good way to kind of reduce that, that pressure. Um, another way is to again, as I mentioned, like our division of responsibility that we are responsible for providing the foods and they are responsible for choosing what they eat and how much um, because they do have an inherent sense of 
um, knowing when they're full, when they're not full, what they need to eat. Um, unless there's, of course, like any feeding issues that we need to be mindful of um, or sensory issues. For the most part, kids, yeah, well, they know how much to eat and when to stop. And they listen to their bodily signals. It's more a problem in adults where we have been ingrained throughout so many years to, to really think that we need to finish our plate um, or eat because we don't want to create waste. So we're actually the ones that really struggle the most with overeating and um, feeling like we need to eat when we don't need to. Um, other ways, though, there's a bunch of different ways that you can um, kind of boost your child's nutrition. And anyone can do these things, and they can really help to alleviate some of that stress. Uh, one way is to try to add uh, ground chia or ground flax seeds to your child's daily diet. Mm -hmm. um, these are a great source of essential omega-3 fatty acids, um, also a source of fiber. And kids need a lot of fat uh, for brain development, for their immune system. So you can add those to anywhere, like to oatmeal, to toast, to pasta, um, replace eggs and baking with them, um, anywhere. Other things you can do are make really delicious, healthy smoothies and pack full of, um, like you can use vegetables that have like no taste, like bok choy or cucumber, spinach. Um, you can pack them full of berries and nuts and seeds. And then if your child doesn't like smoothies, you can freeze them into popsicles. And a lot of little, little smaller kids will choose that over a smoothie. Other yeah. things that you can do are not so obvious maybe, but like um, if you make a marinara sauce, you can blend in cooked lentils or blend in veggies. Um, and then also leave some whole again so that you're exposing that, um, your kid to those new foods. But you can really sneak in a lot of nutrition um, and again, as I mentioned, like not sneak it all in, show them what you're giving them, but also yeah. sneak some in there as well. So that if they don't eat the chocolate, they'll at least get the, the nutrition that's blended in. Same as like yeah. soups too. You can blend soups. Some kids may not like a chunky soup, but you can blend it up and they may just sip it right back like a bean soup, lentil soup. Um, yeah. And a few other ways are um, like having regular snack times and make sure your snack time or your snacks are nice, healthy snacks. You can do things like fruit is a great snack for children, um, raw nuts and seeds if they're um, age appropriate, um, energy balls, that kind of thing, homemade muffins that are sugar free that use bananas or applesauce to sweeten them. Um, there's just so many ways if we, if we take the time to kind of do these simple things, they can really add that nutrition to our child's diet, even if they're not always eating the best, at least you know they're getting some really good nutrition in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I loved what you said about the, like putting chia or, or veggies or lentils into a sauce. I can imagine kids being like, oh, I don't want to eat these like vegetable chunks in the sauce, but I'll eat the pasta with the sauce on it. And you're like, ah, ha, 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 like it still has vegetables, you know, and you can sort of <laughs> not, not gloat about it at the table, yeah. obviously, but, um, you know, feel like warm and happy in yourself. Yeah. Just be like, okay, you know, like that was our decoy. Um, you can see it. My mind still thinks a lot of mm -hmm. it in terms of trickery, but when you when you say it doesn't come out with so much trickery in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, I, I know that one of our favorites is, uh, like pancakes used to be a, a really favorite of ours, and now we're doing like banana oat chia pancakes. 
which don't lo really look like normal mm -hmm. pancakes at all, but have some characteristics in common with them, you know? And I, I threw a whole bunch of other nuts yeah. and seeds in there. And then moringa as well. And all of a sudden we've got like green pancakes that are super highly nutritious. And um, my son's like, oh, these are great. I want more pancakes. I'm like, awesome. I feel so yeah. happy right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and choosing finding foods that they love to eat, you know, if there is something that they enjoy that is on that on that healthful spectrum, like offering as much of that as they're happy to eat. I think that seems like a good idea too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um can we touch and I think too that like Go there's ahead. a Go ahead. I just have I'm another sorry. question after. Go okay. ahead. Um, I think it's also really um, valuable to remember that kids um, may not like certain foods certain ways, but if you try different ways, um, mm -hmm. such as like some kids may not like cooked vegetables, but they'll like them raw. My mm -hmm. daughter is four. She loves cooked broccoli, but won't eat it raw. She, but she loves um, raw cauliflower and won't eat it cooked. Um, huh. Other things to note too are like... Um, some kids may prefer to have their vegetables with a dip, like a fun dip made out of hummus or a bean dip or their fruit with like a yogurt dip. Um, and sometimes kids like food that's deconstructed. So instead of having like a curry that everything's mixed together, they may want it separate, whereas some children like it all mixed together. Um, it's just all about experimenting, getting creative and, and not giving up. Just keep trying, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's super important. It's like, don't give up because you're going to have to keep feeding them for the next, you know, decade or so. So might as well keep trying and like get that, get that mindset of like, well, I'll just try this. So I'll just try this. And, and those no's. Um, do you have any tips for, you know, handling those, those, I know two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds especially can be really uh, rude in their, no, I don't like that. It's icky. Like, uh, do you have, suggestions around mm -hmm. boundaries or rules around around that kind of feedback I think it's really um important to start at an early age if possible um just with with um encouraging conversation around foods so if your child says they don't like it um we can say I'd rather you ex like I'd rather you say that maybe it's not my favorite right now or something like that I just don't like it right now because that encourages kids to think one day they will like it, um, mm. which as we know does happen. Um, yeah. But also if we can um, talk about food with them in terms of what they don't like about it, is it the feel in their mouth? Is it the flavor? Is it how it tastes? Mm. Is it the temperature? Um, because sometimes kids will not quite understand why they don't like something. Um, they'll just know they don't like it, but that can be helpful mm. for us later. Um, when we're reintroducing these foods. I think it's mostly just important to really set those good boundaries and talk about um, even saying like, I worked really hard on this. And when you tell me that it's disgusting or yucky, that it, it, it hurts my feelings. And if you don't like it, that's okay. But maybe be a little, you can talk about it a little kinder. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think sharing how it makes you feel instead of being in like a blaming space, like it's not okay for you to say that versus like, it's not okay for you to say it's disgusting. 
versus saying, it really hurts mm -hmm. my feelings when you do that because I worked on it and I would really appreciate mm -hmm. if you did this, which is just like sort of basic nonviolent communication, but new for a lot of people also because that wasn't what they were raised with. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Uh, can we touch base really quickly? You mentioned um, like food sensitivities or sensorial issues. Um, so there is a, a percentage of the audience of this show that have um, kids who are on the autism spectrum or the um, who have special needs. How would you suggest their their parents handle those? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So my daughter actually does have sensory processing uh, dysfunction. Um, she was diagnosed as a baby. Um, but it's not, it's not very severe, but we did have a little bit of feeding issues with her as well. Um, and what I recommend is working with an occupational therapist that um, you really can connect to. We've, we tried a few different OTs and found that maybe some weren't quite right for us and our family and how we um, like to parent. So when we were able to find one that we really connected with, things went a lot smoother. Mm. Um, some things that can be done though, again, are to... Um, be mindful of those different flavors and textures and temperatures especially are important for kids with sensory issues um, and just to keep trying different ways um, see what they what they tend to gravitate towards some children with sensory issues prefer crunchy some don't like mushy um, so it really can vary from child to child um, but a lot of that is especially important to relieve pressure around meal times especially with those kids because they're already probably feeling a lot of anxiety around eating um just and how it makes them feel the, the different foods um some tips so that our ot gave us that were super helpful were to um, make sure that the child can have their feet uh and their legs at a 90 degree angle when they're eating so <laughs> we tend to have them on chairs where their feet are dangling and actually if they can have their feet on a flat surface um, then they're more grounded and it calms their nervous system down and they mm. tend to eat better actually um, huh. be less fidgety as well so we huh. have like my daughter's high chair had um, a wooden footstool like as part of it um, but if you don't have that you can put a stool underneath their feet or you can put um, even tie a towel like around the bottom of the high chair so that they can rest their feet on that um, but it just helps with grounding and, and calming that that sensory response um, a couple other things you can do are to um, engage in some really heavy work activities before dinner time to get out that pent up energy and for grounding as well. So that's stuff um, using the child, having them use their body weight for activities like push-ups or um, bear walks, um, hanging, doing things like that, um, or carrying or pushing or pulling because that helps with grounding them. Um, and alleviating some of that pent-up energy and helps them to for meal times. Um, yeah, I think those are those are kind of the two things that we really noticed the most for our daughter. But um, it just especially being mindful of the textures and um, temperatures and flavors, and also don't um, don't worry about things that maybe you don't like and thinking that they won't like it. Mm. Um, when we project those kind of tastes onto our children they may be missing out on things that they actually really would love and mm. we would be really surprised that they would eat um for example like my daughter loves seaweed i don't like it unless it's in like a veggie sushi but she'll eat a whole package of it no problem 
Um, huh. And she, one of her favorite foods as a child was Indian curry. And I would never have imagined that. Um, but you just have to offer it and you might be surprised. Right. Yeah. And then if, if people are doing, you know, there's challenges with cooking separate meals or cooking two meals at a time or three meals if, you know, partner eats differently or another kid eats differently. There's challenges around that. And that's where, um, like bulk, bulk prepping stuff ahead of time, you know, having curries, make a big batch, throw some in the freezer and, and then you can pull out a single serving mm -hmm. of curry at a meal and heat it up for them or whatever it might be. It can be super helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. Yeah. So maybe now is a good time to sort of talk a little bit more around like what specifically, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning, we talked about um, like personal health and, and finding foods that work for uh, like the, the parents and, and good systems around that and specifically like belly fat and, um, and hormone system balancing. What are some of the foods that you'd really recommend that people make sure are in their diets to support their immune systems and their hormonal systems? Uh, especially, you can know, you could be, we can add in, like, especially within the context of our current world right now and everybody being really excited about keeping their immune systems healthy or just in general. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I think the most important thing to get in your diet at any time, but especially when you're trying to boost your immune system is fiber. Um, hmm. it's, it's often overlooked. Only 3% of Americans get enough fiber. Um, and most don't even get half as what half as much as what they need. And why this is so important is that um, within our gut, we have a gut microbiome, which is trillions of bacteria that live within our gastrointestinal system. And the only food that they eat, the only food the healthy bacteria eat, I should say, is fiber. So if they don't get that fiber, they die off. And mm. what takes the place of those is the unhealthy bacteria, the ones that make you sick, the ones that cause infections, the one that cause irritable bowel syndrome, cause um, autoimmune disease, all those different issues. So if we want to have a healthy immune system, we want to have healthy digestion um, and to support our overall health, we need to up our fiber. And the way to do that is to up your intake of uh, legumes, especially. So chickpeas, lentils, beans are your number one source of fiber and whole grains such as oats, um, spelt, farro, brown rice, uh, barley, all those different really uh, nourishing whole grains. And then um, your fruits, your vegetables, and your raw nuts and seeds. Those are the only source of fiber. Um, their fiber is not found in any animal products um, or in refined foods or oil. Um, so we absolutely need to up our intake of fiber to feed those healthy gut bacteria, um, the, the nutrition they need to thrive but also to help our immune system and our gut to heal. Because if we're not, um, if we don't have a healthy gut, even though we're eating healthy foods, we can't absorb those nutrients that we need for our immune system, for our hormones, for our health. So it's more important than ever to have that really healthy gut um, to absorb those nutrients and to have that healthy immune system. Um, 70, our, the, our, Gut health specifically and our gut microbiome influences our immunity by up to 75%. So wow. right away, you can see if you don't have a healthy gut, your risk for contracting infections or illness is so much higher. Um, so yeah, basically I recommend to everyone to just up, up their intake of fiber, um, but also there's specific foods that can be helpful right now. Uh, foods that are high in vitamin C, like 
bell peppers and citrus, um, broccoli, um, cauliflower, greens. Those are all going to be packed full of like really healthy vitamins that we need right now. Um, making sure that you're um, hydrating, so uh, drinking enough water, things like green tea, which can also be really helpful for your immune system, um, and also av avoiding sugar as much as possible. As you mentioned earlier, sugar does have a, a significant impact on our immune system, and just consuming one um, serving of sugar actually affects your immune system for up to four hours after. So you can see how if you're eating sugar regularly throughout the day, you're suppressing your immune system and your body's ability to fight infection. Constantly, yeah, because who eats sugar once a day? If you're eating it actively in like refined form or candy form, it's like, oh, I'll have some now, oh, I'll have some more later, right? Because it does impact that, the dopamine system and sugar has a similar mm -hmm. effect to, uh, to um, like cocaine in the brain. That's how I got myself off it. I was like, sugar's like cocaine. I was like, cocaine's not good for me. We won't be doing sugar anymore. You know, that that was sort of like, it was pretty mm. cut, and, cut and dry, cut and dry exactly. in my mind. But then it took, you know, some time to to actually wean, wean my body off and, and make that stick, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, completely. It's super addictive. Yeah, and I didn't realize, but I, I think, I would like to think that within our current sort of world health context and how important having a healthy immune system is, that that information that sugar shuts down your immune system for four hours because it's busy processing the sugar and dealing with that is like, wake up, you know, like, wake up, you've got to stop doing this now, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, I'm sure you work with people yes. who, who have challenges mm -hmm. with stopping. Um, what, if, what are some of the things you've seen that are helpful in helping people stop? I like, like, just be like, okay, no more sugar in my body. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so the, the biggest tip I have for when you want to create a new habit or eliminate a habit is to know your why. You have to have a good enough emotional reason wanting to change um, the pattern that you're currently in. So for example, um, just saying that you want to quit sugar um, because you know it's not good enough for you, that might not be a, a strong enough emotional reason. You may need to tie it to something that's more significant, such as um, I don't want to develop diabetes like my dad has and seeing how he's struggling, um, or, mm. or I don't want to get, well, right now, coronavirus. Um, yep. but if you have this deep emotional reason, it makes it so much easier. The next thing to do is, as you mentioned, that sugar acts on the brain the same way that cocaine does um, by producing that dopamine or that happiness response. So when we have food cravings or comfort eat or stress eat, we have to understand um, what the emotional reason is for why we do it, like what the trigger is, and then what the reward is that we're getting. So mm. what we need to do is replace that habit with something that gives us the same reward. So it's not, usually it will not work by just cutting something out. That's really much more difficult to just cut out a habit and not replace it. Mm -hmm. But if you can replace it with something that gives you that same emotional reward um, without the health effects, you're much more likely to succeed. So for example, some people comfort eat because they need um, the feeling of comfort. Um, they're seeking comfort and reassurance. 
so they can brainstorm ideas of what else they can do that would give them that same feeling. If it's energy that you're after, like say you need you eat sugar because you need that energy boost, then again, you can look at what else can I do that will give me that same um, burst of energy at the same time of day that I need it. It could be even going back to looking at what you're eating throughout the rest of the day and your sleep and your stress, but also creating a new habit that gives you that same um, response. And it can take up to 66 days to change a habit. So um, that's the average time is 66 days. So definitely it's hard at first, but after the first week, it does get easier. And mm-hmm. by 66 days, you've really instilled a new habit and, it, and it's much easier to maintain then. Mm-hmm. I, I love that replacing, you know, I, I say when I got off cheese, it's because I replaced it with nut cheeses. And if I hadn't done that, it wouldn't have been possible, you know, because cheese is cheese. And it's, it's one of those things that just like brings people from veganism back into vegetarianism and then back into all the other foods. Um, but I, I, having that strong emotional reason, super, super important. And then the replacing the habit with something else. I think that's really, really wise. I've, I had this like light bulb moment where I was like, oh, that's what I did. Like I hadn't quite seen it in my own life that way. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're welcome. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. So what other habits can I take and replace with something else? And, and the emotional need, you know, I, I know uh, my partner's a hypnotist and, and when he works with people around these sort of issues, there's this thing of, you know, people are unwilling often to let go of old food patterns because of the connection with mother love or with family love, with like family of origin and feeling connected to them. When um, my mom doesn't eat uh, crepes anymore, but when we go back to visit, she wants to give them to Alex more than anything else. You know, she, she wants to make them because it's like her mom mm-hmm. used to do it for her and it's, it's got this like continuity. And so um, I think that honor, honoring those traditions and like for me, it's like pancakes and making them in a different way that works for us now based on what we understand about health and, and stuff and recognizing that our parents were doing the best that they knew how to do at the time based on the knowledge that they had, which was informed by mainstream media. And, you know, uh, my mom's food was formed by my grandma's growing up in starvation strut like Ukraine like that that's straight up like where mm. where the food patterning came from so then of course I as a teenager and an adult would like eat all the food that was available for me because that was survival through my through my like sort of epigenetics through my mom and my grandma was like eat everything that's available doesn't matter if you like it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it tastes just like eat it and that resulted in me being like a size 16 and 200 pounds at some point um, and it wasn't until I started mm-hmm. looking through and changing those patterns. So people are struggling with those kind of things. Like it really does take mental inquiry. It takes discipline. It takes uh, support, you know, knowing what you need to put into your body mm-hmm. and, and having support around that. But it's really a worthwhile journey because then you have the energy you need to do the things you are still alive and healthful and your immune system's functioning. You know, there's, there's many reasons to do that. And so I think connecting to that why is super important. Super, super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You bring up so many great points there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that you are, you know, this is your, your profession is helping people like this. If people are feeling like they need more support to make changes right now. Um, do you work digitally with people? How do people get a hold of you if they're curious about working with you more? 
Yes. So I do work with people remotely from all over the world. Um, so that has not changed um, since since all this, this has been going on. Um, but they can reach out to me through my website is hollybooker.com or else um, even send me an email at holly at hollybooker.com. I'm also on Facebook um, at hollybooker holistic health, yoga and nutrition and um, Instagram at hollybooker nutrition. Great. All over social media. <laughs> Great. So I'll make sure all of those get into the show notes and so people can find them there. And that's really beautiful. Is there anything else that you wanted to share to sort of as a last, last thing with the audience before we head out? Um, yes. Okay. So I think that one of the most important things that I like to share with people is that um, creating a healthy lifestyle, creating changes, um, just to remember that it's not about perfection. It's about um, creating simple, sustainable changes um, and, and it's about making it so that it lasts for life so that it's easy for life and that you're not doing temporary quick fixes, um, but that you're focusing on your, on your whole health. So lowering your stress, sleeping better, and, um, really being mindful of the foods that you're putting in your body. And if we can focus on that, even 80% of the time, then that maybe that 20% of the time when we're not doing so great, it's not such a big deal. Um, rather than trying to be 100% perfect and feeling like you failed, which does not help anybody. Um, just more focusing on compassion for yourself and um, that it's about creating a lifestyle. Yeah, creating a lifestyle that works for you, right? That works for you in the short term, as in it's meeting that need for comfort or whatever that is in the moment that you were seeking food for, as well as working in the long term in terms of keeping you alive and healthful to a ripe old age, right? Yeah, and your Absolutely. kids as well. Yeah. Super beautiful. Well, I'm super, super grateful to have this time with you today, Holly. I really appreciate your wisdom and some of the insights that I personally gained during this time, and I hope it will be really impactful for others who get a chance to listen. Thank you so much for having me on the program. I was really excited to be here with you and help to uh, contribute to the wonderful message that you're you're sharing so thank you wonderful. thank you okay we'll talk bye remember if you love the podcast there's so much more on our website bulletproofmoms.com and we would so appreciate that you subscribe share our podcast with your friends and give us a five-star rating on itunes or wherever you're viewing this as it helps us reach more people even if i've tried to do this in the past and it's been unsuccessful or i've given up and i felt like i could never change i can completely change follow your breath contract those intrinsic muscles as you follow your breath and you bring that breath all the way up to that pineal gland and you hold your breath one of the most valuable concepts that I personally is that in order to reach the level of success self-confidence and prosperity you have to brainwash yes brainwash your self See, either way it goes, you're going to be brainwashed. But the question is, who's doing the brainwashing? Hey guys, uh, 
Thank you so much for being on that journey with me. It's been a work of love to create such a journey. And I invite you to come and be part of the tribe, come be part of the experience, and get your full access pass so that you can see all of the things that are being created, experience all of the things that are being created. This is literally just a demo and just a toe in the ice of what is available in terms of audio and content that is highly programmable into your subconscious in your highest, highest possibility. And so I thoroughly encourage you, if you are into personal development, if you watch this thing all the way to the end, you're, there's clearly something here for you. And I want to have you as part of the tribe. So I love you. Have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day. And I'll see you on the other side in the tribe. Sugar addiction and addiction in general and she filled me with this beautiful knowledge and power that I always knew was inside me but just needed I think a little bit of coaxing to come out. I can actually tell that there's been a big shift and it's not just superficial. It's on a fundamental level. Um, my thought processes are different and that's such a beautiful gift because I've been working really hard to get rid of this sugar addiction as I'm sure a lot of people are and you know I lost a ton of weight and then I hit that plateau and there's that one thing that's super hard to beat and thanks to Elena I think I definitely have it. This time I'll beat the addiction to sugar. I'm on a big mission to end family trauma in this generation and so I'm working with conscious moms to create a powerful change where we can become bulletproof, where we have no triggers, where our children cannot touch us no matter what they throw at us, so that we can be the kind of moms that we needed and the kind of moms that we want to be for this new generation so that we can end rape, we can end trauma, we can end neglect, we can end sexual shame, we can end consumerism, we can end screen addiction, we can end all of these things by how we choose to parent and how we show up in the world. So I invite you to be here here on this journey with me and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the other side so get your name and email in that box and join me on this journey it's going to be an incredible seven days where you are guided every day to understand how to create better habits how to not give up and how to implement the 60 second hack to rewire your brain so that you know that no matter what's happening you'll come back to a loving place fast love you I'll see you on the other side moment and your future but also your perceptions of your past so that you look at your past and your life and you already see all of the places where you have integrated this change and had been previously unaware of it thank you so much for being here today with me and you've done great work today not only for yourself but for our collective consciousness I'll see you here tomorrow have a beautiful beautiful day.